Abby Kinney, and you are listening to Upzoned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Upzoned, a show where we take a big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we Upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner at Multi-Studio in Kansas City, and joining me today is Bernice Radel, incremental developer and zoning board official from Buffalo, New York. <laughs> Welcome, Bernice. I feel like you have so many different titles that I could apply, so I wasn't sure which ones to pick, but incremental developer is definitely a primary one. Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here, and I yes, I do wear many hats, but that is like the role of an incremental developer. So got to wear yeah. a million hats. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very true. Well, I wanted you to join me today because we this article came across um, our channel that is about Buffalo and you are kind of the resident, you know, expert on Buffalo and kind of these circles. And this was published by CJ Hughes in the New York Times and it's entitled Buffalo's Other Story is told in redevelopment and growth. So as you know, many listeners know, there was a tragic shooting that took place in Buffalo a few months ago that drew the nation's attention to the city. And in the wake of that tragedy, this article has been written as a way of kind of depicting, you know, what they're calling the other story about the city's identity and its history and where it's moving going forward. So Buffalo is, of course, a Rust Belt city, which has uh, experienced deindustrialization and suburbanization in a very acute kind of way that has caused decades of decline. And now for the first time in 70 years, the city is seeing a population increase and signs of economic recovery following, you know, post-World War II decline. So it talks about, you know, the accelerating trend of warehouses and parking lots and municipal buildings that have been turned into housing and people that have been selling their houses in the suburbs and moving back to the city. Uh, You know, major roads that used to be lined with parking lots and auto dealerships that are being retrofitted back to being, you know, to real streetscapes, urban streetscapes with developments along them. So this recovery, according to the article, can be attributed in large part to a years-long effort to improve the city through strategic, public, and private partnerships. The article talks about some really large-scale investments that have been made to revitalize the city, money coming from the state, billions in private investment, uh, millions of dollars in public investment that have been announced for the east side specifically. So I think that it's really cool that Buffalo's story of progress and revitalization is being highlighted in the New York Times. But, you know, Bernice, I wanted to get your perspective on the article's framing of Buffalo's progress, because it does very much seem to emphasize kind of the the big things that are happening, you know, the big capital investment projects, the you know, large real estate development projects and, and you know, capital that's being moved into the city. And I, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on Buffalo's recent evolution. And if there is an other other story, or at least a way to kind of build on this perspective in the New York, in the New York Times article. Yeah, I, I would say so I think you just kind of recapped it really well. 
I will say a couple things. When we found out that Buffalo grew by 17,000 people, over 17,000 people, we were one of the only Rust Belt cities to see growth in the entire Great Lakes region as a city like Rochester, Syracuse, Pittsburgh. We we blew past uh, numbers by the by the thousands and in, in, in people. And it's like a big deal. It's a big deal for us. We've worked really hard on that. And Actually, at the end of this article, it talks about how the Bangladeshis are moving in, which is used to be the most rapidly declining uh, census tract in our city, which is now the m- most rapidly increasing census tract in our city. And there's a guy I, I know and love. His name is Chris Hawley. If Chris was here, he would tell the actual percentages, but that is not my strong suit. <laughs> um, so, but maybe we could find those percentages somewhere and put them here. But it's a huge increase. And the, so the point is, it's like Buffalo has seen, an, has seen a population increase for the first time since 1950 or 1960. It's a big deal. And yes, it does attribute to a lot of these bigger projects. I mean, people are really... They feel better about Buffalo. You know, 10 years ago, people were broken on Buffalo. And, you know, they'd say, oh, don't don't go downtown. You know, the classic stuff you hear. I'm sure you hear it in Kansas City. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) You know, and you're like, okay. But the truth is, it's like I live in this house where I live. This was abandoned in 2012. Abandoned. Not and and picked up at the tax auction. Now I live you know, in a neighborhood where it's, it's, there are a couple of vacant properties, but it's less and less every year. And we're working hard to do that and, and to renovate. And so, so what I wanted to say was there is, there are these untold other, other stories and, um, and for good and for bad, you know, so the Bangladeshis moving in is really incredible. We had a huge influx of Puerto Ricans from the Hurricane Maria hurricane. So, and people don't talk about climate refugees. We are already experiencing it. We are already seeing people move to Buffalo because of climate related issues. I have personally have tenants that have moved from California, from Texas, from Puerto Rico that are moving here because of climate. Hello, hello. We're talking all, we're trying to talk about this, but the increases I think that we're seeing is related to Puerto Rican increases to the Bangladeshi, as well as well as people just wanting to move into the city uh, and and be here, which is cool. You know, I just welcomed this week two people from Texas that moved to Buffalo. Literally, had never been here ever. They did their research. It, they said, "Oh, it's affordable city with water, fresh fresh water." They decided to move to Buffalo, and and it, they did a lot of research. They've been following me on Instagram for like six or seven months, you know? No so, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's happening. Cool. If people move from California because of the fires, you know? So so the question is, is there an untold story? And I think the answer is yes. But I do want to highlight that I, what I loved about this story in particular is it's talking about a lot of things that we should celebrate, right? There's, we had, part we've had parking lots become apartment buildings with zero parking because we removed minimum parking requirements in 2017. We've, we have that, that the project I'm thinking in particular is 201 apartments with zero parking spaces in downtown Buffalo and next to a grocery store, which is a wow. big deal. That's <laughs> big amazing. Deal. Yeah. And, and they're, and they're leased, you know, and they're, so it's like, and that was on a parking lot, like bye-bye parking lot. People were not thrilled about it, you know, but it worked out. And because we, you know, and then, you know, 
our argument is like, well, there's 35,000 parking spaces in downtown Buffalo. Like we could get rid of some. We're fine. It will be fine. And guess what? It's been fine. Right. Yeah. So there's, you know, but there's all these large projects. They mentioned Larkinville, which is <laughs> a really awesome um, hub. And they've been doing great work there. And they mentioned, you know, downtown and a whole variety of different things in this article. And, and I, I, you know, I'm the first to say Buffalo could do better. I'm the first. I'm like, we need more bike lanes. We need um, all kinds of things, right? With the Jefferson uh, top street, tops on Jefferson, that shooting has opened many people's eyes to the inequality, to the lack of financing, to the housing insecurity issues, to the food insecurity issues. It's not that we're we're far from perfect, but I do think that we're doing a lot right. I see that with our zoning code, with our comprehensive plans and, and with a lot of this, but also what, what I'm trying to get to is to say is the incremental development side of, of Buffalo. And, you know, in 2014, the New York Times wrote an article called small, it was like small developers, big dreams. And it featured me and all of my neighbors essentially in my neighborhood who are buying these vacant properties and renovating one house, right? And and one other house at a time. And we are still here. We are still here. Every single person in that article is still here renovating and living and existing in this in this neighborhood. And what's happened, right? 10 years the property values have gone up for sure. They're still way more affordable than most of America, but they have increased, but it's locally owned. The decisions are being made by the local community. And that's a huge deal. And so I would encourage people to go back and look at that New York Times article, um, because not to, to read about me, um, also mentions my ex-husband, so you can <laughs> ignore him. But it's about a movement that we started uh, and started working on. And so, uh, you know, I'm the ch- a champion of incremental development. I have been for as long I've been doing this 10 years on my own plus another four years before that, you know, Buffalo and the other Rust Belt cities and, and these places like South Bend, Indiana and Rochester and Cleveland and Kansas city, you know, you guys, we have an opportunity to like lead the world with incremental development because the housing stock is already there. And so we have been doing that a lot here and, so do I think the untold story is one of incremental? Could they have gone deeper? I think absolutely. But we all know how news works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, <laughs> it's so really just to highlight. Right. But I am proud that they talked about our population increasing. And none of these projects, I, I won't say none, but very few would have been allowed under our old code, our old zoning code that we threw out in 2017. And we, we when we implemented this new form-based zoning code in 2017, it was a big deal and it removed so many barriers to small and big development. But what I loved about it is at least we we got a moment to do 200 plus meetings and kind of get on the same page. What do we want for our community? And that's what the green code reflects. And so all of these big and small and the growth, I think, has a lot to do with Buffalo leading the charge on um, zoning overhaul and and a variety of other like there's a million things but zoning is definitely has been definitely one of one of those things it's not perfect. yeah <laughs> it's not a 
to document. Nothing ever is. I want to emphasize that because people are going to complain in the comments. But um, <laughs> but I challenge you to go and read Toledo's code or South, or, you know, all these other codes across America, and then read ours because it yeah. Is there's legendary. no such thing as a perfect zoning code. I don't think. No, but <laughs> yeah. it allowed so much. And you know, I always tell the story of of the pie shop. You know, like to me economic development comes down to the, on the localist level. It, it's the tiny 500 square foot storefront that matters to me. You know, in this article, they actually talk about how office space is lagging behind and how it's harder to, to lease office space. Well, what they don't talk about is like how much dollar per square foot are they, do they have large footprints who rents that much space? You know how much space I need? And I have like we do millions of dollars worth of work and have, you know, 10 employees and tons of subs. We, we operate out of 700 square feet. You think I need a giant floor plan? Like, you know, no. And so a lot of Buffalo and many Rust Belt communities, but very, very Buffalo is local, as local as it gets. I feel like we champion that. So it's harder to rent big office space. We, we don't have IBM. There was like a protest against uh, chain restaurants on our main street, you know, they just won't take it. Won't, we won't have it. So anyway, <laughs> I'm ranting, but it's good to paint that picture of Buffalo. We're very local. And as I said to the Texas people yesterday, I said, you know, living in a Rust Belt city means you have to do things because no one else will do them. You have to pick up the trash because no one else is coming to clean the trash. You have to volunteer at the local farm. Uh, we have, or you have to take an urban vacant lot and turn it into a farm because there's no one knows what to do with these lots, you know? And so there's so much ingrained in our community and our, and our blood really to be small, local and dedicated to the community. And that's why when people pick on Buffalo Bills fans, I come here and you'll understand <laughs> it, you know, you know yeah. it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's like, don't mess with us. I don't care how many times we've, we've lost we still are Bills fans. It doesn't matter. And so it's like, you try, you know, it's, it's just like that level of community is so deep. And you know, you're from Kansas yeah. you know what it's like. Yeah. Let's not talk sports. <laughs> I know. I know. Just but, kidding. But isn't sports related to community, right? So like, that's the other side. It's, it's part of your, your, your neighborhood and your community. So, yeah, totally. And, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, other cities beyond Buffalo. I feel like Buffalo is a great example of, you know, what you might call a receiver city. And these, these, these are basically cities that, you know, between World War II and to now have basically been what at Strong Towns they often referred to as back row cities. You know, they haven't been in the spotlight. They're not like on, you know, national news stories all the time. They're not the center of our most, you know, big political issues like the housing crisis. You know, just last week we were talking about some houses in Phoenix, Arizona that, you know, aren't going to have access to water anymore and all of these things that, you know, are are going to make a lot of places less livable in the future and are, you know, we're already starting to see people migrating. This is right now the great shuffling. People are reshuffling right now. People are looking at other places. I've met so many people that are from California, are from Texas and other places looking, you know, scoping out Kansas City, scoping out other cities 
because they're looking for a new place to go and, and scoping out places like Buffalo. And I think that I feel like cities like Kansas City, cities like Buffalo, you know, and, and really the, the back row cities, the cities that have not been kind of in the spotlight over the years. You know, we we have a cultural sense of like not, you know, we really kind of push to make our cities better. And as things are improving, you know, it's hard to kind of stop and look at the progress and under, you know, appreciate what's been done. But I also think, you know, you have to kind of think about the shift from being in a place that has been stagnating or declining to one that is revitalizing because those are very different market dynamics. I'm sure as a developer, you know, you're not buying $5,000 houses anymore in Buffalo, you know, things kind of shift. You could buy 40,000 still here, you know? Exactly. And I think that's what is valuable about kind of the incremental development approach, what you advocate for, because when you say that it's very local, I think that is the key because it's not about just, you know, redeveloping a community in small pieces, you know, as one large developer, it's about the opportunity for many people to participate in ownership, to have access to to ownership and commercial properties, residential properties. And it, it's all about that barrier to entry. And that is so high in so many places around the country. And we in Kansas City, we always say we have a crystal ball because we're like 10 years behind everybody. That may be kind of going away a little bit, you know, every day. But I, I think it is kind of important to to understand that this approach is about decentralization of ownership and and lowering the barrier to entry to own something. Yeah, so I want to say a couple things in that. So one, climate change is already impacting real estate on a million different levels. My insurance agent said to me just last week that we are officially in a hard market for insurance. Well, guess why? Why? So insurances are like buckling down. Why? Because of the Texas freeze that they experienced where they lost all the power and everything. There's like a billion dollars worth of claims. Well, they are now it's impacting all around the country, the ability to get insurance. Well, guess what? You can't get insurance. You can't get a loan. You can't renovate your building. Right. So we're going to see things. And guess who gets hit first on that small scale projects because banks don't want to, you know, struggle taking the risk insurance struggles takes to take the risk on those, you know, typical cutie pie main street buildings that we all know and love. And so there, you know, it's really climate change is already impacting us. And Buffalo is 1000% a receiver city. And we, we actually internally um, with the director of planning, we're already having conversations and trying to figure out how can we plan, right? So there's, you know, there's always, which I, we get, that's a whole other topic, but how do we sort of try to get ahead, ahead of this? Because you're right. Like something could dry up and all of a sudden people don't have water in Phoenix and everybody that has money, they're going to go and they're going to want to get somewhere with water. And then all of a sudden, you know, people start buying properties and and then people get more gentrified, right? They get more, they get pushed out. And that's a, that's a big worry on a lot of cities. And I think we, we have to really plan for that. And we are thinking like I've been on calls and actively um, talking with people at city hall about this with higher ups at city hall. So I know that it's on the radar and I know that they're thinking, how do we do that? But I will say like having a good zoning code is part of that recipe, 
right? I always say like, what's, what's the recipe for uh, combating climate change and dealing with what's the recipe for a good walkable community, right? What's the recipe? I want the best grandma sauce, right? And, and so when you think about that and you put them in little, you know, recipe boxes or, you know, cards, then you can start really seeing like where we have an advantage or disadvantage, you know, Rochester's going through their, their zoning code right now. Well, they better kick butt on that zoning code. And I don't know if that's going to happen. And I worry because they desperately need to have a good code to be able to like serve, survive and thrive in the future as a climate receiver city, you know, versus us, we've talked to you and I been on a panel at CNU, we talked with South Bend, they they did their zoning code, and they've got composting programs, my goodness, that city is, you know, they're, they're lining themselves up to be a climate receiver city. So, um, but I, I digress, you know, I, I think, I think it's really important to understand that, um, you know, we have large growth, right, we have big growth, which is in this article. Um, and there's lots of little growth within that big growth, right, you know, um, and, but that, that there absolutely could be a follow-up, which is incrementalism and, you know, and all that stuff. So, but, you know, what are you going to do? I think it's a, I think it's a nice article. Um, really, we were very happy. We were all thrilled to see Buffalo in the New York Times, especially something positive in light of, a, you know, of, so, I mean, gosh, we were, Buffalo was set on NPR for weeks after the uh, tops shooting. And, you know, it was hard because you're just driving around or listening and you're like, this is, they're talking about us, you know? And, and then actually it is, it might be good to point out the segregation. I can't, I mean, I am a white woman. I cannot even begin to speak for um, people of color, but the, uh, you know, but the segregation around tops and we do projects in this neighborhood. We have done several within, in this, within four or five blocks really of, of um, that tops, you know, one of the major issues that lies there is <laughs> I'm going to get on a soapbox. I'm sorry, but it's, it's like, you know, if they were going to write a part two about this, or if they said, you know, if they were able to talk about what could we do better in Buffalo, right. To, I think, and, and even with the light of seeing that, seeing what we're, we've been going through, you cannot get a loan to renovate a house in those few blocks really like probably within a mile of that tops you houses are vacant if they're vacant they're worth ten thousand dollars and the bank will not give you a loan and i'm not here to like make banks angry right i'm not here to do that right now although i do want to do a ted talk on how banking has a lot of problems and needs to be overhauled we're gonna that's another day but if if over, since the redlining, you know, since the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, people have not been able to get a loan in this neighborhood to renovate their building, to maintain their building, to buy a new house. And just the level, it's like, it's like the neighborhood it has all these amazing people and all of this, like these wonderful human beings who care, but like very minor access to the actual money that it takes. And it's not even about their income. You know, this is just because of the redlining has declined the values. It, they could be worth millions of dollars and still not get a loan from the bank, you know, to, to renovate their homes. And so there's been such depletion of the housing stock there. And, and so and that's the problem. It's like and that's one of the problems. But it's it's a, to me, I just said, like, after, in the wake of this, I said, what are we going to do? We need to give everybody first time home buyer program. We need to, you know, connect them to the renovate these houses and get them in there and help them start building intergenerational wealth 
through through real estate through housing and you know it's just it's we need to undo and repair and there's so much to do but but truthfully you uh, if a vacant house in that neighborhood is if a house's name is vacant it's worth 10 grand and the bank won't lend and that's the problem that's one of the biggest barriers in neighborhoods not just buffalo hello i mean detroit Cleveland, we're all seeing it. Toledo, like we're all seeing these areas that are just have just been disinvested in for so long. And and so, you know, like the West Side was one where I live. Banks would not lend here until 2016, 2017, because the property is like this was a twenty thousand dollar house. So they said it's worth twenty thousand dollars. I could have had a million dollars in the bank, they still wouldn't have lent me the money. Right. And it's the same problems that plague our cities you know you're either going up or you're spiraling down the the world just doesn't have programs to maintain and support sustainable growth (laughs) you know on a variety of different levels you know well and not not all growth and progress is even right i mean there's headlines of oh kansas city is is doing great and it's on the up and up and look at all of this development we have an entire east side of the city that is you know, very much it's experiencing the same kinds of issues that you described where banks won't loan. There's a ton of great people, but they just, they can't get a loan to buy a mortgage for a house. And it's because of the location. And, you know, some have described it as modern day redlining. It's, you know, it's very difficult for people to get a loan in these areas. And so in some sense, you know, at the real estate hasn't become so expensive to the point where, People can't afford to live in these areas. However, you you don't want a, these areas to uh, revitalize, and nobody who's currently there have ownership stake in that, and so they're unable to actually benefit from growing prosperity in the area. Um, which I think is something that you know cities that can anticipate to uh, you know be receiver cities or are starting to are grow their population, Rust Belt cities. It, it's really important to start thinking and planning for that now because otherwise there's going to be a whole other issue on your hands. And I, I don't, you know, I don't exactly know if, if it's that the city should be the ones that are, you know, solving that issue. Maybe that's one of those things that need to be done kind of in a bottom up kind of way, just like incremental developers work at, I, I don't exactly know like how you implement that. And I, I don't know that cities are the best, you know, municipalities are the best entity to try to take something like that on. And I think the part of the problem is that I, a lot of people kind of expect them to solve these really big and challenging issues. And so people kind of, uh, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to sit there and say, oh, well, they're going to, to take care of it and they're going to solve this and they won't. <laughs> and in declining cities where you have less and less tax base and less and less staff, it's hard. Exactly. It's hard. You know, it's, I don't want to make excuses for it, but it is difficult. And, but there are still things that could be done. I mean, you know, uh, on a variety of different levels, it, it really takes multi, um, like it, it takes people working together on every, yeah, partnerships, every partnerships. And like, like Buffalo has this program um, that it's called Eastside Avenues and they train Primarily people, primarily minorities, you know, if they're interested in doing real estate development, there's, it's like a three month training. And I do some of the training, um, full disclosure, I, you know, I do like one, one of the trainings, there's, um, there's a bunch, 
um, typically on property management, just to kind of talk about like what it takes to manage properties, you know, because it's difficult, it's hard. And, um, but the Eastside Avenues program was in, was a, has been going on for three years and it's connected to, to funding. And that's a great way to sort of say, Hey, you go through this program, you get access to state funding uh, and, and or other funding that's available to do roof repairs, facade grants, et cetera. And so Buffalo's kind of taking the lead on that. I've really, really enjoyed that. And some cities bring in the incremental development Alliance, you know, that's, that does that training. We were in, I, I was uh, teaching with Minneapolis and the, and the, and St. Paul in the wake of George Floyd, we did uh, trainings for, um, for 35 bl- black people. I, I didn't see everybody's faces, but you know, primarily, um, and we were trying to teach them the, the basic steps of, of, incremental development and small scale development, what that is and how to set up LLCs and how to kind of get your, get your feet wet in that world, because there's nothing better than when people own the properties within the community. And that's really the, the goal here. So, so there's, there's cool little things happening in cities that can help facilitate uh, a more localized ownership pool and growth and, and and again back to the recipe right you can put the, put these on a list and say okay what has has what has my city done and what have we not right and yeah zoning codes there but could we do a training program for you know the east side of kansas city or the east side of um of buffalo or or you know or the west side really of detroit right isn't it? it's more on the west side there so you know you could think that and south bend actually when i was there they did they launched this program. I was so proud of them. I'm like, really? This is so cool. They so they're doing this program where one of the expenses to incremental development is is first of all, incremental development, you know, you're always against the you have the appraisal issue, which is what banks do to redline. Well, or well, I don't want to say do to redline, but it's what they do that stops loans from happening. So any way you can bring your dollars down, you're good, right? So South Bend decided to take I want to say Biden funding, like related funding and put up to like $20,000 worth of funds available if you, for sewer lines. So like in Buffalo, a sewer lines like eight to 12 grand, right? So the city, city of South Bend basically said, you build a new house, we'll pay for your sewer. That's Big amazing. Deal. I yeah. know. That's <laughs> really <laughs> smart. I know. Well, that's that's like, something that that's something that we have <laughs> such an issue with here in Kansas City because I mean, it's not even just that, it's also that when the homes were demolished, it's like you never know what is in that site. Right. You may have a vacant lot and it may cost fifty thousand dollars to get everything out because that you know a house just co- basically was collapsed into the lot. Yeah, they push the house into the foundation into the basement and yeah, then so just cover foundation. It. Yeah. So so that is a really smart use of funds and it is something that's such a good idea. I I'm know you brought that so, up. But you know you think about okay, if we're if we're you know the I guess this podcast, you know, is about this article, right? So you think the big stuff, right? Big developers get big money and tax credits. They get tax credits. They get new market tax credits. They're getting perhaps um, for historic preservation tax credits. Yeah, they can pay lawyers for to get their tax credits and to navigate challenging zoning codes. Right, right, and they and they rack up fees and dollars, and they just work through it. And they ask for forty variances or whatever. Well, in Buffalo, where you could. Do, you know, you could do a um, project with zero variances in theory. Some people still come and ask, you know, and I get it. 
Um, but you could have very few variances, so it costs you a lot less. You could get tax credits. You could get all these other things. That's why that big development's happening. But on an incremental development scale, very few. I have never. I haven't. I don't want to say I haven't technically taken a dollar from the government from the government um, because uh, you know we did get. Um, and all right, Knox, we worked with a local art gallery to do uh, a mural and that that was funded by a foundation. So it's not like like everything we do, but everything we do is without incentive, without grants, without incentives, without money. Nobody's given us anything because there really aren't any programs available like there are for the big development. And that's a problem. So if you have places like South Bend who can show up with 10, 15 grand for your for your sewer, you know, um, you, or, and you have like this East Side Avenues program in Buffalo where you can have facade grant money, stuff to help you, get, you know, put the roof on, you know, all these things. It the, Those things really add up and really can help the incremental developer. And, you know, I always say that it's like, you know, around the Great Lakes is like where a lot of these are. But the truth is small towns everywhere, all around America. I mean, you could be in Texas. Texas has amazing town squares, right? It's not just Buffalo, you know, but all around there's this want and need for incremental development, but there's a lack of, 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 of departments in city hall that understand it. There's a lack of programs to help, to help them. There's a lack of funding programs to help them um, to get through these problems. And I mean, it takes me just as much time and effort to do a duplex renovation as it does to do um, nine units or to do a larger project. I mean, oh my goodness, it's, I still get the same number of gray hairs on my head. Like, it's like, you know, they just add, it doesn't matter how small or big, you know, sometimes it took, it took me two years to do a house once, you know, I was, I was ashamed, like, why is this taking so long? Well, COVID and, and then the electrician was behind and then everything went up in price. It just takes time. And so the incremental development movement, um, you know, which, I mean, the story is not about, but there are incremental developers, even within that story, the, the Bangladeshi guy who owned his own uh, shop, you know, and all this stuff. That's, that's the story uh, that to me is that, I mean, that's what, where my heart is, but again, could really use all around the country could really use support on so many different, so many different levels. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Bernice, it has been amazing talking to you. I'm so glad that you were able to come and speak about your city. It's really cool that Buffalo has been highlighted in this way, especially, you know, you guys have had so much progress and you've been doing such amazing and inspiring work there. And so I'm glad that, you know, we've had the opportunity to kind of talk about that. Before we finish today, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of this show where we can share anything that we have been reading, watching, listening to, anything that's been kind of taking up our time these days. So, Bernice, uh, what do you have to share today? Oh, well, I, well, the one thing I'd want to tell people that Smart Growth America just came out with the Dangerous by Design, um, um, yeah, like research paper about how the pedestrian that's and accidents are going up and that that I I haven't like even read through the whole thing but I have read enough and I'm just like wow so that's been on my mind um I don't know what other things I watch a lot of weird 
English uh, time period um, TV. If you want to know something about me, that's weird. what is that? What like do you Bridgerton, oh, you know, yeah. Downton Abbey. <laughs> do you watch Peaky Blinders? No, I haven't gotten to that. So that's really, you know, and I, but I will, I will. Uh, it's on my list. Cause I don't, I mean, I try to watch TV, but I don't, you know, but those things I think, you know, what, I don't even know why I like that stuff, but that's on my mind. Um, I think, uh, I don't know what else comes to I just enjoying the Buffalo summer, frankly, you know, we had the, so another thing they didn't mention this article, but Buffalo was the snowiest city in America last year, this, this winter. And, um, it, I felt, I said, I said, oh my gosh, we could be in like Norway, like, hello, we could be in near the North pole. It was just snow, snow, snow. And, um, so we're just enjoying the, the Buffalo summer as much as I can. It's not very humid there, is it? No, it's no, pretty nice. And and I even biked. Actually, I biked almost all the way through winter um, because the snow days are tough. But as soon as the roads are clear, it's fine. It's fine. It's yeah. still. It's not cold here. It's cold, but it's not brutal. You know, it's like well, the 30. humidity. If the humidity is low, that is a big part of it. I think. Yeah. Makes but it anyways, a lot easier. You know, and if Buffalo, anybody that's out there listening, you want to come to Buffalo. If you need a steward or somebody to ping about places to go, please call me. And if you're in Buffalo and we've never met and you think, well, Buffalo sucks, call me and let's talk and figure this out or be friends because, or like, or you want to get more involved in the community or, you know, just, you know, I think that one of my life, one of my lessons this year was to make sure, you know, I like to, you know, you know, I like to be an advocate for Buffalo. I try, but I'm always, I want to try to be as present as I can for people who are interested. So, um, and you know, there's plenty of people and cool things happening here. I think it would be worth the trip. If you want to come, I'll take you kayaking or we'll go get chicken wings or play in the snow. I'd love to go up there and go kayaking. That sounds awesome. Yeah. 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 It's wonderful. We kayak like on the grain elevator. It's like, we're your backdrop instead of mountains and stuff, it's like grain elevators, just like these. Really? Yeah. It's, and a Ferris wheel now. We have a Ferris wheel. <laughs> so. I feel like over the past couple of weeks here, it's been like way too hot to really go kayaking. Like this is the time in Kansas City where it's kind of unlivable. Like July and August is, I mean, it's brutal outside. It's almost as brutal as the middle of winter. Like it, it's difficult to go out there. Um, but I will say in the evenings, and then maybe this could be my down zone, but um, we have been riding around on our, so we have like a sports bike. <laughs> I well, feel like this is probably going to sound really <laughs> out of character, but yes. Like a, like a rocket? Like a yeah, it's like it's like a motorcycle, and we've been just using it as like our primary transportation now because gas is so expensive. I have actually been trying to think of ways to like maybe get rid of my Honda and like just ride around like a motorcycle of some sort. I don't know that it would work in the winter time, but I'm like Are you trying to line? strategize. So not one that gets me to the places that I need to go for work. That is the problem. Yeah, because I'm cl- I'm close to my job. I could take it to my job. And there's actually a streetcar that's being built that will go to where my job is, which I can't wait. But it is the problem is like actually I travel around like the metro and longer, far, far further 
on a more regular basis than would be doable to just use the bus. But these little motorcycles are a very viable alternative. Yeah, so or I've an been e-bike. seriously considering. Yes, exactly. Mm. E-bikes yeah. will change your change your life, you know. But we we went down to one car, and you can if you live in a walkable. You know, that's nobody. I don't know why people don't talk about, it, but it's like, hey, you want to save ten grand a year? You could live in a walkable neighborhood. You know, exactly. Like, you know, it's, it's a, like I mean, people say, oh, walkable communities are so expensive. Not all walkable communities are expensive. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here it's still very affordable. You know, ask my new folks that moved in from Texas. They're like, what? Rent's so cheap. You know, they got a whole house house (laughs) for a lot less. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me. And, um, you know, I appreciate it a lot. And I'm glad to, you know, be here as always. Yeah, it's great to talk. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Great to talk with you, Bernice, and we'll end it there. Thanks, Mm -hmm. everybody, for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Bernice. Thanks. Let me show you what I'm about to do.